0: If the scripture's internal picture of our children's hearts is correct, then the most important thing we can do as a parent is to lead our kids to Jesus. He is the only one who can give them power over the evil that lurks within. As we continue our present series, Your Kids and Jesus, Dave devotes our time together on Leading Our Kids to Christ. Where I was raised back in the Big Apple, the big three networks, CBS, ABC, and NBC, they keep talking about this weird group. They're called the evangelicals. At lunch, they were talking about these, quote, unquote evangelicals, and, and the business guy had the honesty to say, what in the world is an evangelical? And my friend said, well, I'm one of them, Okay. But I think there's a lot of misconception out there in our culture, and it's a great opportunity to clarify what an evangelical is. It's one of those spiritual words, one of those theological words. You know, what in the world do we mean when we talk about these millions upon millions of millions of evangelicals? You can all understand very simply that what an evangelical is, is it comes from a Greek word. You can get real highfalutin, but stay with me. It's very simple. It's angelo oi angelion would be the noun and an evangelical would be oi angelion the little word oi in greek means good something that's really really good angel just simply means to announce to announce or to proclaim when you put it all together an oi angelion is someone that has received good news And they announce it to others. So what an evangelical technically is, it's someone that's heard the good news and has personally received it. And because it's such incredible good news, they want to share it with others, okay? A lot of the the academic elite, they think of an evangelical, they are a rural, small town, white, Anglo-Saxon, church-going person that's trying to force their moral and spiritual beliefs upon other people. And I want to understand that evangelical is not a political party. We have a lot of talk about the Christian right. And that's a political movement. We can't let the word evangelical become just equivalent to a political party, because it isn't. And you need to be really clear. What evangelical means is someone that has received the good news. It's so good, they want other people to know it. So I would ask you the question, how many of you would want your kids to become evangelicals? You see, out there in the popular society, they say, oh no, hard!" you know, who wants them to be this rigid, you know, arrogant, prideful person trying to enforce these laws and everything else on everyone else. When you understand what an evangelical is, and I hope none of you will leave this morning without understanding what this incredible word means, because I want to talk to you this morning about what I believe is one of the most important things that we can be devoted to. We want to lead our children to Jesus. We want to lead our children to Jesus. And when they come to Jesus, they will become someone who has received good news, they have trusted in it completely. And this incredible reality has come to live inside of them, and therefore they want to tell others about it. And one of the things I would pray that some of you might be single here, or you might be a grandparent. I man, I'm long gone, you know, but if you're a grandparent, man, you got to really lead those little grandchildren to Jesus. But some of you that might not feel like, well, I'm not married right now, and I don't have little kids, really listen, because every single one of us, as brothers and sisters in Christ, need to be involved in helping little ones to come to Jesus. So I want to start out by sharing with you the heart of the Lord Jesus Matthew 11 verses 25 and 26 at that time Jesus that's who the good news is about at that time Jesus said this I praise you father lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned the PhDs at Harvard the PhDs at Yale the editors of the New York Times I'm not saying that none of them are believers some of them are my son is at one of those schools, and, and some of his teachers really are believers. But I want to share with you that they didn't become believers because they're wise and learn it. Something that all of us understand, that, the, that Jesus is saying, that you don't become a person that really understands spiritual things and really has eternal life because you figure it out. That's the Greek problem. The Greeks seek after wisdom, and a lot of us in our American culture feel if we get studied enough, and if we do enough research, and we work hard, then we're going to figure out this spiritual thing. And the Savior tells us is that's not true. Because the ultimate, transcendent, eternal God, the God that's really out there, is chosen, that I'm going to hide these things from the wise and the learned. If you're prideful, and you think you're really smart... And if you think you can figure everything else, there's a really good chance that you'll miss the most important good news that you ever need to receive. Instead, the Lord says that his daddy chose to reveal it to little children. That's what I want to talk to you about today. In our church family, we strongly believe that Jesus can reveal himself to little children. They can understand who he is. They can understand what he's done. And they can have him come to live in their life. And in fact, none of you are going to get into the kingdom if you're 86 years of age and you're prideful, and you think you're wise because you've lived so long, and you think you have everything figured out. In fact, I've actually worked with people that are past their 80s, and they think they're smarter than any, you know, they don't need to listen to the Bible, and who would ever believe that Jesus was really the only way? After all, there's many ways, and they think they got it all figured out, and they're going to miss heaven. And the reason they're going to miss heaven is because they think they're smarter than Jesus is. And they don't listen to Jesus. They listen to their own hearts. It says good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell, religious people that are really committed, Islamic people, Jewish people, and Christian cultural people, they're all gonna be all right. And the, only the evil people might miss out. They think they got it all figured out. And the Lord God of heaven says, I've chosen, if you're prideful and you think you can figure it out, you'll miss it. But the incredible thing about our God, he says, but little tiny kids, if they hear the good news, they have a humble heart, then they can receive it. And that's just the way it is. I have to remind myself about that constantly. That's the way things really are, that the living God of the universe has children reveal it to the little children. And then Jesus says, Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. This was the will of God. All of us think that it it, it has to do with God really isn't fair and there needs to be justice, and and that's how we all think. But what I want you to know is that the universe really runs on God's good pleasure, his gift. You're alive today because of his good pleasure. You're going to receive Jesus and understand who his son is if you do receive it and respond to it because of his good pleasure and his kindness and his grace. And the only thing that will make you miss it if you arrogantly feel like I got it figured out, I can be a better God than God, and I'm not going to listen carefully to him. And so we want to talk today about what I believe is the most important thing in all the world is how can we help children that are born in our church family. And then little children that begin to come to our church family, how can we help them to come to know Jesus? And the very first thing I want to underscore in your thinking is that it's about a person, not just a message. I want you to turn to John chapter 1 because I think one of the big problems that evangelicals have is they forget it's about a person and they make it just a message. They make it just learning a theological content and intellectual ideas. The Apostle John is introducing this one book in the New Testament that's specifically written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. John the Apostle, who was the intimate disciple of Jesus, began in his introduction studying the sage, and he lays out something that's really important. I'm going to begin with verse 10. He says this. He, that is Jesus. So I'll get you caught up because John is introduced it. He's talking about the word which we learn is Jesus himself. Jesus was in the world. The world was made through him. We want to teach our kids from the time that they are wee little bitty kids that the world they're living in, the house that they live in, and the, the the culture they live in, this whole earth thing called earth, and the whole universe was made by Jesus. That's one of the realities about Jesus, that every one of you need to nail down your heart. This ultimate living Jesus is the creator. Very important. Now notice what else it says. It says he was in the world. The world was made through him. So Jesus is the creator that created all of our lives, created all this world. So he's not just a great teacher. He's not just some philosopher of religion. He's not just a good moral man. He is the creator. But notice it says, and the world did not recognize him. You need to teach your kids from the time they're very small that we happen to live in a world where the world was created by Jesus, but as they live in this world, they're going to meet a whole bunch of people that don't understand who he is, that don't understand that he's the creator, and that they make misjudgments about who he is. That's just the way reality is in the world. Notice what else it says here. It says he came to that which is his own. So he came to the world, and I think John would be thinking a lot of the world of Gentiles, the world of Greek philosophy. In his day, he would be thinking about what we would call, probably in our terminology, the secular of the world, non-religious people. They don't recognize Jesus as the creator. He also talks about religious people. He said Jesus came to his own people. He came, he was a Jewish man, so we teach our kids from the time they're little bitty kids that Jesus is a Jewish man, and he came to his own Jewish people, And one of the enigmas of history is that his own Jewish people, for the most part, didn't receive him. We need to get across to our kids from the time they're really small as one. Jesus is the creator. He created their life. He created the world. He is the ultimate creator God. He came into this world, and most people didn't recognize him, especially his own Jewish people didn't recognize him. But there's some incredible good news. There are individuals, both in the Gentile world and in the Jewish world, that did something. Look what it says that they did. It says, he came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did hear the message, learn the verses, said yes to a series of questions, they have eternal life. Is that what it says? But as many as, I want everyone to tell me, but as many as received him. We're going to say that again. For as many as received him. My resurrected Savior is here this morning. And I trust he dwelled in your heart. And he's not just a message. He's not just joining a church. He's not just a religious prophet. He is the creator of the world. And he is a living personal being. And he is alive right here today. And it says that as many as received him, so when someone tells you, don't talk about inviting Jesus to come into your heart, that's unbiblical. No, it isn't unbiblical. Evangelicals, quote, quote, they fight a lot about what evangelicals are. It's amazing how we fight about that. But one of the things that a lot of evangelicals do, they make a big point about the language we use, and it's almost like this special formula. Are you sure you said the formula? And I want you as parents, I want you as as grandparents and as friends, I want you to start thinking about it personally. It might sound like a little tiny thing, but what we're trying to do is when our little babies are born into our home, Nora was just born into the Wurzen family home. Jesus... He's the one that gave Nora life, my fourth granddaughter's life. He's the one that's going to be speaking to her heart. He's the one that will be sustaining her. He's the one that wants to help her to come to know him. Does that make sense? And I wanted to think about this very personally. Not just about an idea that's out there, but about this incredible Savior that's really alive, that can think, he can feel, and he can decide. And as you open up the pages of Scripture, like the Gospel of John, you can see him in action. You can begin to see the way he thinks. You can begin to see the way he feels about things. You can begin to to learn about his will and what he desires. You can really get to know him. And he is working. It's not just you trying to get an idea across to your kids, but you've got this incredible Savior that's working on a much deeper level with your kids. And that's why John said that at the very beginning of his gospel, he says, you've got to receive him. As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God, even to those that believe on his name. We're going to come back to that. It's not about getting just across the message. It's about having your kids meet a person. And then it's about them learning about that person. And then it's about them deciding what they're going to do with that person. And what salvation is, is when you let the person of Jesus come to live inside of you. You know who he is. And you've met him. And you've made them some decisions about what you're going to do about it. And you personally let him in. Does that make sense? I want to really underscore that it's not just about getting our kids to accept a message. It's not just getting them verbally to repeat some words. Some of you are all concerned as you're working with your kids. Like, well, I'm not sure they really understand everything. And I'm not sure that they got it right. You know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Some of you, you know, are really concerned that they don't use exactly the right words. I want to try to relax you a little bit. What you're going to find is your kids are growing up in your home, especially when you're raising them in a Christ-like family, And one of the most important things that what I'm sharing with you, if Jesus really is a person, then it's important for Dave and Mary and each one of you to join us and we live personally with Jesus every day. We include him in things. We talk about him. We pray to him. We always evaluate things based upon what his guidance is to our life. We want to read God's word because we personally want to get to know him. And one of the most important things when I talk about it, it's about a person, not just a message. It's from the time your kids are little tiny kids. They should be raised in a home where Jesus is part of the family. He's unseen. And your kids will struggle with that probably less than you do. He's unseen. But he's very much a part of all of our lives. And it's very much of a personal relationship. And I want to underscore that one of the most important things that you can do for your little ones is you need to be sure that you're relating to Jesus personally. See, a lot of modern parents today, 21st century parents, you have an idea that you want your kids to get the right learning. In other words, if they're good soccer players, you want to take them to really good soccer coaches. So you'll drive all the way to North Dallas, and you'll pay $30,000 a year so your kids can be with really good professional soccer players. That's how you think. When you're interacting, you might put your kids in a really high-powered private school if they have academic excellence, and you'll, you'll, because you want your kids to be exposed to the experts. You do the same thing spiritually. When every one of you to hear me, I can teach your kids how to throw a football. And you don't have to know how to throw a football. It doesn't make a lot of difference if you do. And I can teach them to play quarterback. But when we come to this thing called Jesus, this person called Jesus, not a thing, but a person, and when we come to having our kids meet him, it's about you. It's got to be about you. And that's why it's really important I want a lot of you parents to think about you got to break this mentality that we can bring kids and someone else will handle the spiritual thing. You need to be involved with your kids. You need to come like the Lord might want you to come and sit with your little ones like I did for years in a first service. And I heard my dad preach much more boring sermons than I give. And I learned a whole lot, and I fidgeted, and I colored, and I went for a walk with my mom down Broadway, but I learned to be with my family. It was serious stuff. Your kids need to see you then that needs to just be a little bit of what you do with your kids because what you really do with your kids is before they go to bed, when they're a wee little tiny kids, you dads go into their rooms and you say, you know, we're going to talk to Jesus before we go to bed because he's the best friend. Daddy's been loving him and he's the only one that keeps daddy going. And so let's just ask him. We're going to pray before you go to bed. And if, you're, if a little four-year-old's having bad dreams, to say, you know, Jesus specializes in helping to protect us from bad dreams. And so let's ask the Lord Jesus to help you to sleep quietly tonight. And so the, from the time they're just little bitty kids, Jesus is included, and they see especially dad. They see especially dad, because you dads hold the key. And I'm not saying that the Lord can't use your moms. If dad is gone, or if dad's not there to meet the need, the Lord will powerfully use you moms. But the primary way that the Lord's ordained things is daddies that determine the spiritual direction of their kids. So you dads get into that bedroom before they go to bed. And when they're wee little kids, like when your babies are just infants, hold them in your arms and sing to them, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Pray for your kids. Pray out loud when they, when they can't even talk yet. Because you're saying, Jesus, it's so great to have you to help me to be a dad. It's so great to have you in my life. I want you to bless my son, bless my daughter. I guarantee you'll never, never have them become 18 years of age having done that. And it says, man, I wish I hadn't spent that time. It's about a person. And that person needs to be changing your life. He needs to be changing my life. And I know even really high-powered academic people that I ask them, do you really know Jesus? Is it a joyful, intimate relationship? I had a pastor just break down the phone a few months ago. He called me up, and he was asking me about maybe changing his job. And suddenly he just started crying. He said, you know, David, as I talk to you, it sounds to me like, like Jesus is still alive in your life. And it sounds to me like the body of Christ and being involved in a church is still cool for you. It's fun, and it's joyful. And then he just bawled on the phone. He said, you know, it's gone out of me. It's just not there anymore because I've been, it's, been a, it's been a culture. It's been a philosophy. It's been just communicating ideas. And he asked me, he says, how can I make this a living relationship? And we prayed together about that. And we, we asked the Lord Jesus to renew that intimacy. And that's what I coveted for every one of you as a mom and dad, and I coveted for Mary and I. John didn't say, but as many as received this great philosophy, Greek philosophy in some ways makes a lot more sense than the gospel psychology can teach you how to really communicate and and how to handle your anger and stuff but you know what it can't do it can't introduce you to the eternal god that can take you to live with him forever and ever and ever and it can't create resurrection life in you and that's the incredible thing we don't have the most brilliant minds in the evangelical church we don't have the most brilliant books ever written except for the word of god We don't have the most gifted people. In fact, to be honest with you, we do have a bunch of rural, simple-hearted people. But you know what? If we have Jesus, Jesus said, I chose not to reveal it to the wise and the learned. I chose to reveal it to the little children. It's about a person, not about just a message. But the second thing I want to share with you, it is a message about that person. This person isn't just a rubber nose that you can make be anything you want them to be. And the second thing I want to really underscore in your thinking, as you think about how you lead your children to Christ, I want you to think, first of all, that Jesus is the one that's personally at work, personally touching your children's heart. And what is he going to do? It's about a, the biblical Jesus who is God's son, who died for our sins and arose again to give us eternal life. Turn to Romans 5. Romans is a book that you want to come back to again and again because it makes the gospel so crystal clear. Paul didn't know the Romans personally when he he was running to a church that he hadn't met, and so he's laying out the essence of what he believes. I could go to many places in Romans, but here's just kind of the heart of the book. Look at Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time when we were still perilous, Christ died for the ungodly. So from the time they're little ones, it's about a person, not just a message. But the biblical Jesus has done some really marvelous, concrete things for us and for our kids. So from the time we're little bitty kids, we teach them about here, it says that at just the right time, we were still perilous. What does that mean? From the time kids are a little bitty kid, you teach them that you can't get it right. You're not going to be able to stop hitting your brother and sister in your own strength. You're not going to stop saying no to mom and dad in your own strength. The spankings aren't going to be enough, and be sure you do them in love. But the spankings aren't going to be enough. We teach our kids from the time that they're little bitty kids, and mom and dad are saying this too. We don't overcome this tiger in our tank, this sin in our tank, by our own strength. In fact, we admit that we're powerless. From the time that they're little bitty kids, if daddy loses his temper, the little kids see daddy with his kids saying, you know, kids, I really lost my temper again. And that's because daddy's a sinner because daddy does daddy has a part of him that's wicked and mean and so right now we're going to admit that daddy can't overcome his anger at his own strength but we're going to talk to someone that made it possible for daddy to be forgiven and for you to be forgiven and so your kids see mom and dad because they live with you day in and day out how many of you have ever gotten angry in front of your kids how many of you have ever said some cuss words in front of your kids How many of you have ever failed? You haven't lived totally Christ-like before your kids. Anybody in that book? What you communicate is that we have a genuine relationship with Jesus and we are powerless in our own strength to overcome it. And what Paul is telling us is that when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ didn't die for good religious people that think everything's fine. The essence of being an evangelical is you understand. We are powerless and we are ungodly. And I want to stress one of the most evil things that could happen if evangelical becomes identified with people that think homosexuals are horrible people, abortionists are horrible people, and people that believe in homosexual marriage. It's just a horrible, horrible thing. People that are involved in stem cell research, man, let's get them! And we don't realize I'm a materialist, and I can be a liar. And you know what? I can be a heterosexual, lustful person. And you know what? From God's standpoint, it's just as bad. And one of the methods you need to be communicating to your kids, communicating to your friends at work, is outside of Jesus, I'm powerless and I'm ungodly. You know what? Jesus never changes someone's hearts when they're arrogant and they're powerful. They think they can do it. And in victory, when you think you've won a cultural debate. It's really easy to be arrogant. It's really to feel we can do it. I'm not, and I talk to you really strongly about morality is not divorced from government. And I challenge you to really think hard about that. So I'm not backtracking on that. But I want to understand that we found something far bigger than Supreme Court. We found something far bigger than Congress, far bigger than a president. We found a Savior that deals with our deepest need, the deepest need is every one of us, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's heterosexual lust, whether it's lying, whether it's cheating, whether it's slandering, whether it's being materialistic, and on and on it goes. We found a Savior that we're totally perilous to overcome, overcome those sins, but Christ died for us when we were sinners. And one of the things you want to get across to your kids from the time that they're very small is, is, is that we are sinners. That there's none of us that are righteous. And that's the bad news. But the incredible good news is what Paul is saying right here. But Christ died for the ungodly. And what Paul is bringing out is that Christ died for people that that don't even think about God, that people that rebel against God. We want our kids, like the the worst swearing kid, the kid that's on the playground that's beating everyone else and comes out with cuss words, maybe he's from a home that he's never heard anything about spiritual values. We want to train our kids, man, let's pray for that Johnny, let's pray for that Susan, because Jesus delights in helping even people that have never heard or have no self-righteousness in their own strength. Jesus died for them, and you want to give your kids a passion to want to reach unbelievers. You want to start building them a faith in Jesus can touch the person that I would least expect, because that's the truth. Jesus died for the ungodly. The second thing he did is even more wonderful. I think in a lot of ways. He says, "For verily, for a righteous person will someone a good man someone might possibly die." But God demonstrated his own love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But look at this. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much will we be saved more from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more being reconciled shall we be saved through his life? I want you to focus on that phrase. We will be reconciled even more now that we've received this new life, in other words. How much more now can we be totally confident that we're going to be saved through Jesus's life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What is Paul saying? He's saying this. He's saying that the death of Christ is powerful. You've got to get across to your kids that the reason Christ died is because of we're sinners. We're perilous. But you don't want to just focus on the cross. We've got to have a similar balanced focus on the power of the resurrection. What makes our faith so powerful is what I talked about earlier. We have a Savior that saves us today by his life. And what Paul is saying is that when you receive Jesus, Jesus actually comes to live inside your life. And he brings resurrection power. A person that used to be filled with hate and filled with anger and ready to bust everybody. They become in Christ someone that has a gentle spirit. Someone that has a peaceful spirit. And yes, it can take time for growth. But we've got to believe that there's resurrection power. And I want to stress it again. Tim Stafford wrote a whole article in Christianity Today magazine last week analyzing a big conference they had on marriage in Dallas, and all the secular people, including believing people, got together and talked about how horrible marriage is. And they, they raised the question, because all the stuff I taught you about weaning, being careful not to withdraw, being careful not to escalate, being careful not to negate, being careful not to invalidate in, in, in a relationship, but some of the psychologists right here says, well, what do you do with someone that could care less? What do you do with a married couple that they fight? Yeah, but even when they connect, they could care less because there's no love in their heart. And the psychiatrists were saying there's got to be something bigger. And Tim Stafford's saying, man, maybe there needs to be a spiritual renewal. Well, I want to say something far greater. We don't need just spiritual renewal. We need resurrection power. I want you to believe that. I am sick and tired of evangelicals acting like, man, we, we get a little psychology here. We get a little human wisdom here. Man, what I need in my life is the resurrection power of Jesus making me a new person. And we're the ones that have that. And that's what I want my kids. I want my kids to be totally honest that without him, we're perilous. And Jesus dealt with the sin question, and he set us free from guilt. But then I want them to realize that this incredible Savior can come to live inside their life. And he is alive, and he brings resurrection power. So I don't care if you were born with the wrong genes. I don't care if you didn't get the God gene. I don't care if you didn't get whatever gene you need. Jesus can still come into your life and make you a new person. That's what we're about. This was the heartbeat of Paul's life. He's saying, I used to be Jewish. I used to think it was all about religious teaching. And then I met the crucified Savior with nail print in his hand. And then he came to live inside of me and he made me a brand new Paul. And Paul spent the rest of his life generating people like you by the power of God's spirit, generating churches. And I want us to be totally committed. We're going to do that here in Midlothian and with our friend and around the world. We're going to see resurrection power really change people's life. The final thing you got to get across to your kids, you can know all of this, but when you meet a person and that person says, I'm the son of God, And I also am fully a man. And I understand all you're ever going to face in your life. And I became a human being. I'm the creator, but I also was born in the Virgin Mary's womb and I became a little, tiny, innocent baby. And so I'm a totally human person. I'm a totally divine person. And I'm the one, because I'm human, I died in the cross of Calvary. I took the punishment you deserved. And I died in the cross so that your sins could be totally washed away. And on the third day, I rose again from the dead. Now you got to decide. It's like Jesus reaches out his hand to your kids and he says, will you trust me with that? Will you trust me to save you? What it means to trust, it means that you rest in Jesus, that you put your confidence in Jesus. It's not just repeating a message, but it's receiving a person. I want to close with this. This isn't theoretical. It really does happen. I, I want to share with you as we close, like as, as Mary and I were raising our little bitty kids, when they were little bitty kids, I asked my kids this week, I said, kids, write me how you came to know Jesus. And so in our own family, there's Jonathan, Joel, Josh, and Janae. I'm going to start it. Joel wrote me first. This is what Joel wrote. He says, I believe that I was four years of age, maybe five. But I remember you and mom talking in the kitchen while I was sitting there at the corner. You all were talking about someone who didn't know Jesus and basically talked about him being lost and on his way to hell. What a horrible thing to do with kids. Of course, this was my interpretation. I remember leaving the counter and going back to my bedroom crying because I didn't know Jesus, and that was certainly on my way to hell. I remember you coming back and asking me why I was crying. I proceeded to tell you, and you asked me if I wanted to accept Jesus into my heart, and that was that. I would say that the factors that led me to receiving Jesus and continuing to follow him was having a mom and dad who lived in a relationship with Jesus and didn't just talk about it. I was also confronted with the truth from a very young age. I think that the Holy Spirit just came in conviction over me that day. I'm sure that I heard about it a thousand times before that day, but it just struck me that particular day, and I saw my need of Jesus. That's what's going to happen with your kids. That was at a breakfast table at our counter, and Joel responded. Jonathan wrote me last night. He said, sorry, this is the last minute. He says, I made my decision to respond to the work of Christ on the cross when I tagged along with you to a five-day club at the Dyer's house. Some of you that have been involved in good news clubs and teaching in a wanted This is what Jonathan's talking about. I remember sitting on their windowsill around four years of age and listening to you explain that all of sin were guilty and that Jesus had died to pay for that sin. That I just needed to respond to his offer and receive him into my heart. I then remember later at the age of six or so having a huge bout of doubt about the assurance of my salvation. It was really hard for me because I felt I just might not have Jesus in my heart that I might not really have gotten saved. Mom shared several verses with me that night before going to bed, and that eventually got through. I think one of the most practical things about leading children to Jesus is that you need to assure them that accepting Jesus into your heart is a process, not just a one-time event. That Jesus said, come and see, and you can walk with him. And it's hard when a lot of the Paul's perspective about salvation relates to his Damascus Road experience And sometimes it's hard when you grow up in a church and you don't have that big light, is what Jonathan expresses. And part of what I want you to feel with your kids is with our own kids, we saw that the Holy Spirit worked in their heart. And then they make decisions, and you encourage them to make that decision. And then you just keep encouraging them as they grow older. And some of our kids have gotten to be like when they're teenagers and they go through times of great doubt. That's okay. That's part. If you'll think about this personally, if you'll think about that it's not just receiving a message but it's really meeting a person and trusting in a person and you give it all those personal dynamics of a relationship, it'll help you with that. One more, Janae wrote, as far as my child, I would say that there are a few things that drew me towards Christ in regards to you and mom's influence. You never pushed anything on us from the time we were little kids. You trusted us, granting us independence on bigger and bigger things instead of holding our hands in everything. If we didn't do our homework, it was on our heads. Although you guided us, you had a balance between giving us rules and guidelines and giving us freedom to obey or face the consequences, just like the Lord does. Also, you led by example. There has never been a time when I doubted that you loved each other or that you were absolutely in love with Jesus. Even though you made mistakes, it was obvious by your lifestyle that you lived for Jesus and it was real. Another practical thing was that when the time came, you allowed us to face the reality of death. Sure, as a pastor, you faced it every day. But I distinctly remember the little girl having to face the reality of life's fragility through seeing a prison that I knew and loved gone. This really was a milestone in my faith. Realizing death's reality drastically changed my perspective. I think I was five and maybe Josh was about six when we received Jesus. And she also went on to share that I didn't want Janae. I thought Janae was too little that night. And so Josh wanted to receive Jesus. That was like in that time before they went to bed. They got to asking about it. And I thought Janae was so little, but she so insisted on it with me. She said, finally, you let me be safe. So see, (laughs) I'm just like you. I want all of you to think really hard about this because some of you, you're like theologians. There's a big debate in evangelical Christianity. What do you have to believe to be saved? What's the content? What's the most minimum content we can believe? What's the maximum content? You know, do you have to believe in Christ's Lordship? Do you have to just receive Him as Savior? We go on and on. And one of the big things that I feel in the midst of all the debate, I feel like asking again and again are you really talking about the person of Jesus? Are you really talking about the fact that He's alive? We have a Savior, He's the Creator. He loves our little children so much that he came into this world. He could have stayed in heaven. Our precious Savior, again and again, when they brought little children to him, the religionists were always trying to get them away. Religionists always pushed little kids away. But our God-man, God's son, always took children up into his lap. I am so thankful for that. And, and Jesus said that unless you become like a little child, you'll never enter my kingdom. The kingdom of God belongs to little children. As you as a mom and dad, as you're working with your kids, you can be totally confident that the Savior that loved your kids so much that he hung on the cross to die for them, and then he rose again because he wants to give them new life. Do you think he's going to quibble with them about whether they walked the aisle the right way? Whether they did it at the right time? Whether they were baptized in slow moving water or fast moving water, whether they had it poured on their head or dunked them completely, whether they were in this particular denomination or that particular. Now just really stop and think of it. You're the Son of God, you're a living person. And the person I've described to you is the God of the universe who actually, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that if anyone, If anyone will believe in Jesus, they'll never, never perish, but have eternal life. I want you to know that that precious Savior is not quibbling with their rote little words. In fact, the truth of the matter is, Matthew presents certain words that describe salvation. Luke presents words that are very similar to the Apostle Paul's words in Romans and Ephesians. Mark had a little different way of talking about what it means to, to, to receive Jesus. John, like I've spent a lot of time today in John and Paul, but John loves to use the idea of being born. He loves the idea to, of, of that you receive Jesus. He loves the idea about receiving the light of Jesus' truth. That's the way John talks about it. All those New Testament writers shouldn't be pitted against each other. It's like a beautiful diamond that they're looking at a different ways, but the diamond is this incredible person called the crucified, resurrected Jesus. And I want to encourage you, moms and dads, by God's grace. Some of our kids could really struggle, but by God's grace, our four kids were raised right here among you. They were in your nurseries. They heard your Sunday school lessons. They were with normal moms and dads like Mary and Dave. And they had friends like Dave and Dev and Tim and Becky and On and On It Goes and Onds and Judy. And our kids are now all grown up. And they're all able to write me how when they were little bitty kids, Jesus knocked on their heart's door. And they learned who he was, and they opened their heart to Jesus. And Jesus has never left them, and he's never forsaken them. And he's going to do the same thing for every one of your kids. And you can trust your kids with this incredible Savior.